Survivors. It is such an honor to introduce you to my dear friend, Dawn Lundy. You're going to learn so much from her today. This is going to be a fantastic discussion. Um, Dawn is an amazing powerhouse in the revenue cycle industry, and I'm so excited to have her on today's episode of Rev Dive. Dawn, thank you so much for joining us. You know, you have so many accolades and you have so much experience in the industry. Can you tell our listeners just a snippet of who you are and what you have done in your career so far? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Ken, for having me. It's always great to uh, talk with you. Um, well, I actually ended up in healthcare by accident. Uh, when I graduated college, it was a recession and I leveraged my customer service background from my high school and college jobs into a role with a health insurance company. So my first 10 years I spent on the payer side, um, mostly focused in working with the providers in provider relations and contracting. And then I went to work uh, with an independent practice association for a number of years, really doing a lot of the same work, but coming over to the other side of the table and representing those providers uh, in those negotiations. And then uh, from there, I you know, saw an opportunity. As we know, in our industry, we see a lot of ebb and flow with physician practices um, kind of splitting apart and, and a lot more independence happening out there and then they'll consolidate and that kind of happens every 10 or 15 years. And so at that time, uh, a lot of physicians were looking to break away from real large group practices. And uh, so I hung a shingle and did consulting for a number of years, helping them open their own practices um, and really just establishing everything uh, with regard to getting their practice going from space to you know operations those important payer contracts um, and from there i was approached by an industry friend who um, did a lot of work with hospitals uh, creating their websites and some of them were asking about online bill pay and she didn't know anything about healthcare finance but she came to me and said well done you've kind of done a lot with that and would you be willing to help me with this project and so what began as a client project evolved into uh, creating uh, a company and a product um, known today as SecurePay. And it focused on patient pay. And little did we know, uh, we were doing that in a recession, uh, the earlier days of 2008, you will probably remember the, the housing market crashing and all the banking issues. and. Uh, it was really uh, coinciding with a time where patient pay was really escalating because benefits were changing. Um, patients were having to pay more out of pocket. And certainly in the years since 2008, we've seen that really explode. Um, and so we ended up taking that client opportunity into a company that um, became a part of Ability Network uh, about four years ago. Awesome. So I've been there ever since. Wow, Dawn, that is so impressive. Um, you know, when when I think about a career like yours, um, there has to be something driving you to continue doing what you do. Um, you know, what draws you to be so passionate and engaged with revenue cycle transformation? I know I am. And every time you and I talk, I feel that, you know, that that drive in you. 
what, you know, what, what kind of draws you into being passionate? Yeah, well, fundamentally, I think, um, you know, my nature lends itself to problem solving and, and helping and making things better. Um, I, I think I was drawn to the industry having grown up around it with um, the professions of my parents, but also just sort of that desire to be able to help. Now, that being said, I am not a science type gal. I did not want to pursue the clinical side where, you know, it certainly, um, you know, would give me the opportunity to do that. And I had more of a mind for math and for um, systems and bringing efficiency to a process. And I think I, I naturally fell into it in the point of my career where I began to work with providers. It's their lifeblood um, and really just seeing the handwriting on the wall with how our industry was transforming. And so what drives me is how what we do um, sort of perpetuates the ability uh, for healthcare providers to provide patient care. And, um, you know, as they say out there, no money, no mission. <laughs> and so right. if we're not focusing on ways to make the collections um, as much as they can be, we're really depleting, you know, organizations' ability to keep doing what they're doing. I totally agree. Oh my gosh, such a good point. Um, you know, and you are, you know, an avid and well-regarded speaker in the area of patient financial responsibility. And collecting patients' financial responsibilities is challenging for many organizations. Again, especially right now, as we're kind of working in a virtual environment and hybrid and office environment. So let Rev Dive's podcast be a megaphone for a moment. If you could pop one message into the minds of all revenue cycle leaders and our rev divers who listen into this podcast, be and kind of be their muse, so to speak. What would you say to them? Well, great question, Kim. Um, you know, one thing I read recently that even surprised me, having been in this industry for so long, is that 61% of patients would consider switching providers just to have a better experience with patient payments. I mean, that's almost two thirds of patients. And one thing I think our listeners might not always think about is that payment experience is almost always the last experience or exposure that the patient has to the organization. And if it isn't pleasant, sadly, they're left with a bad taste in their mouth and they might share that with others. And even though their care could have been excellent, if that final step was not, you know, what is it and how is it reflecting on the organization? Um, so it can impact, you know, quality um, outcome scores when it really has nothing to do with the quality itself. Um, they could vote with their feet and just go to another provider um, or just simply be bad mouthing, you know, the organization for something um, that to some people might seem trivial, but it is important to consumers. So I have a lot of suggestions I could offer. Uh, <laughs> you know, first, first and foremost, um, you know, focus on getting into uh, the digital age that we're in um, and have been in for a while. Uh, if you don't already have online bill pay that allows a patient to pay any way that they could, um, you know, go ahead and, and get that going because um, 
not only will it make it a lot more accessible to the patient, but the time that it'll save the staff. You know, you figure for every five to 10 minutes they spend handling a payment, what else could they be doing? You know, there's no shortage of work in a practice, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, the other thing I would say along the lines of, of leveraging that technology, that's actually really interestingly become a lot more to the forefront now than ever with uh, the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And that is um, the desire that consumers have for touchless payment, um, you know, at the point of service, mm -hmm. or even if they're doing drive-through type care, you know, how can they pay in a way that they don't need to touch something or hand their card over to someone else? Um, and I know we saw just a surge, uh, a huge increase in the use of touchless payments, um, you know, when that pandemic hit uh, alongside, you know, a, a very large increase in the use of online tools overall. So um, if you don't already have those capabilities, um, you know, those are the best recommendations I can make. There's many that's other. No, I I think that's fantastic. You know, my my thought is removing any barriers is the key. So what you know, whatever your barriers are, let's how do you remove those barriers? And I think that that's a great um, suggestion. You know, one thing that you said, you talked about the patient experience and mm -hmm. how usually. If you think about it, you know, as, as a patient is, let's say from an ambulatory perspective, when a patient's checking out, someone's looking for money from them, right? So that's their, that's usually their, like you said, their last experience. And um, I, I think a, an educated patient is a good patient, right? So giving patients as much information as possible that also contributes to customer satisfaction. Um, and when it comes to um, speaking with patients in an engaging and an informative way, um, we can really help with their health literacy, whether it's financial health literacy or you know, it's, you know, explaining their um, disease ideology. Um, we can really, as, as healthcare leaders, do so much. And I, I no, I believe that health literacy plays an important role in patient collections because the more they understand about what's happening, the more they're inclined, I think, to, um, to understand the provider's role um, in, you know, in their overall care. Um, and they might be kind of more um, inclined to make, to make their payments. Um, do you have any thoughts? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're shaking your head. You know, what are your thoughts about engaging, you know, patient engagement and health literacy um, campaigns to, to, to educate our patients? Again, whether it's for, you know, financial management, and we both know not, not all patients really understand what is an EOB. That, that's, <laughs> who knows what that is? So you right. know, what are your thoughts about patient engagement and literacy? Yeah, you know, I think sometimes the simplest actions can have the biggest impact. Uh, if we think of, you know, the, the patients that are being seen are either in an emergency situation um, at worst, um, and at best they're there for a physical or some preventive, you know, type care or anywhere in between. 
I would believe most people in that situation already are feeling vulnerable, um, worried, concerned. And I think when people get into that state, you know, they're not kind of thinking um, as clearly as they could. Um, and so, you know, one of the strategies I've seen be very successful, and again, this is very simple, but it's just expectation setting. Um, so whether it's, you know, the clinical staff that is explaining each step of the way, I think all of us could think of a healthcare experience or dental, you know, that we've had where they just start doing something and we don't know what they're doing and it makes us very anxious. Um, and so to just explain what's about to happen immediately before it happens or preparing them for what is to come, you know, whether it's minutes, days, weeks, months ahead, um, immediately will bring kind of a, a more calming um, situation for that person. And when we bring that anxiety level down, I think they're a lot more likely um, to hear us and, yeah. and uh, you know, do what we'd like. So from the RCM standpoint, the financial side of this, it's little things, you know, it's appointment reminders that are convenient. Do you offer options for them um, to get those by text and or email, or is it outbound calls? Right. Um, can they schedule online? Um, can they uh, be informed when they're checking in of what the organization knows about them? Hey, Don, welcome to your appointment. We verified your eligibility with Cigna. Right. And, you know, we found that you will have patient responsibility of X um, or approximately X. I know we don't always have that definite number. Um, and, you know, we'd like to discuss with you, um, you know, arrangements for payment for that. Or how would you like to pay for that today? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that way it doesn't come as a bill in the mail 40, 60 days later as a shocker. Uh, and the patients are a lot less likely to want to you know, pay timely when they didn't expect it. Totally agree. So just a few ideas, you know, yeah. things, strategies I've seen out there that have been effective. Awesome. You know, it's, I, I want to switch gears a little bit and, and think about our, our listeners and um, because they're individuals um, looking to grow either personally or professionally. Um, and we both know that it takes a lot <laughs> to yeah. to to sustain a career in revenue cycle management, um, revenue integrity. Um, you know, from from your perspective, what's the most important strength that revenue cycle leaders need um, to be successful? Oh gosh, there's so many. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, one I would offer it's it's a little more general, and it, it's it's for people in all level, levels of revenue cycle leadership or or part of you know the the frontline staff. You know, I think it's helpful to be networked in your field outside of your organization. Um, and so, whether it's engaging through you know uh, platforms like this. Uh, industry associations, uh, the organization next door to you, whatever it might be, I think the um, idea sharing, knowledge sharing, 
or even just the camaraderie, because let's face it, it's not always easy out there, um, you know, can, can really be helpful. And, and I can say, having worked in healthcare my whole career, which has been long, um, really some of my best friends are those industry connections that I have. Um, and so not only can I go to them with an industry question or need, but you know, I've developed you know more of a relationship with them as well. So I, that that's a recommendation. I think sometimes people, when they're in a larger firm, get very inwardly focused, and they may not um, you know have those connections outside of their organization. And conversely, some with a really small organization, um, you know, I see it's pretty common that they're not uh, connected, and it can feel lonely. I think. Uh, sometimes people might wonder, am I the only one going through this? The answer yeah. is no. <laughs> you and I have the viewpoint of, of working with so many organizations at the same time. I think we see a lot of themes out there. Oh my gosh, you're so right. And, you know, I, I used to love going to, to conferences and in-person seminars. And as a yeah. speaker, I always enjoyed the the, the point in my program that I opened up networking opportunities. And I think that you are spot on um, networking outside of your organization and even with your external stakeholders, right? So you mentioned that you were on the payer side at one point. I'm sure like I know when I used to be a bill auditor um, at, a, at a hospital, um, I became, you know, I got acquainted with the representatives of the, the insurance companies that I was, I was dealing with, right? And so, so building those networks really help you as a revenue cycle leader because you don't, you know, you, you certainly can't do your job alone. So having people um, who you can rely on and then also folks can rely on you for your, for your expertise, right? I, I think it's kind of like, isn't it a great two-way street? Like you and I, we've emailed each other before and you know shared information. Um, so it's it's really great. And I know that also with networking, um, you know, building your capacity for growth, um, sharing information. Uh, you know, when we share information with one another, we're continuing to grow. But what that also does is the person uh, who you've shared that information with is also inclined later on to share information with you, so. Yeah, and even pay it forward to someone else or bring someone up in their career. Or I too have felt um, some of these individuals I've known for you know, 20, 25 years, they've pushed me along professionally, you know, um, whether it's encouragement or support or throwing ideas my way or vice versa, um, you know, like you said, it is a great two-way street, so. Yeah. And it's um, how we met, right, Kim? Exactly, <laughs> through <Yeah>. networking. <laughs> exactly. You know, I am, we're obviously so impressed with um, your expertise and your, your knowledge. Uh, and we also know, at least in my opinion, that the biggest points of formation um, at least in my career um, and in my growth as a person and, and as a business owner um, often come from failure. I mean, there's things that we're going to do and we're going to mess up and we're not going to always get it right. Um, 
I, I, I'm sure I can share, you know, quite a few stories of <laughs> decisions I wish I would have reconsidered. <laughs> um, you know, when you think about a time um, where you maybe experienced a failure um, and, and it was a catalyst for growth, whether it was personal or professional, what, what comes to your mind? I mean, I, again, I, I, I could certainly share a lot, but, but from your perspective, what, what's that catalyst do for you? Yeah, well, um, in the early days of Secure Pay, um, I was a, a part of a, another startup. Um, and there's some statistic out there about how few of them actually turn into a success. So I, I consider myself to be very fortunate there. But um, there was another one I was involved with that involved uh, the capability for consumers to come onto a website and compare healthcare providers quality and cost and the cost being derived from, as we know, those payer contracts. Um, and, you know, boy, we made a run at it, I think for almost five years. And just, it was the worst feeling to finally decide to call it quits. Um, I think we were too early to market is why it didn't go. Um, I think we see these days with so much consumerism in healthcare that uh, a tool like that would be very helpful. Um, it is hard to provide an estimate and, and share that information. And whether we like it or not, you know, consumers do shop around for everything, even their healthcare. Uh, what I learned from that is sometimes we can have a great idea, but the time might not be right for that idea. And, mm -hmm. and to not just give up on it entirely, but is there another form that it can take? Um, you know, when in the right time. So yeah. there's many others, like you said, we've all yeah. had many failures, <laughs> big and yeah. small. But you know, I, I was in another interview and I was asked a, a similar question, which is why it came to mind because mm -hmm. um, I, I think it's 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 so powerful to not only look at our successes, but look at things that we wish we could have done differently. And I know mm -hmm. that, you know, in the early the, the, the formative years of leadership <laughs> for me, um, I, I looked for my team to be as passionate as I was and for my team to think and kind of process information similarly to how I process it. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think growing as a leader I realized that I need to embrace individuality and diversity and you know differing opinions and differing thoughts because all of those thoughts um, they they bring different perspectives and it allows you to kind of um, you know open your mind to new possibilities as a leader and you know it allows you to grow so we could go on and on <laughs> oh, I couldn't agree with you more yeah I mean <laughs> The people, the, the, don't you have people in your life, the yin to your yang? I mean, you know your strengths and you know what is your kryptonite and, and they are there to provide that balance to you. I definitely know the people I go to, to, you know, kind of balance out my approach. And, you know, I love your comment about diversity of thought, um, you know, really makes for a more complete uh, approach on anything. Um, totally agree. That's, totally that's agree. You know, as we're as we're wrapping up, 
um, first of all, thank you so much for, for being with us today. I know that our rev divers are, you know, going to gain a lot of, of knowledge from, you know, this, this podcast. Um, however, I, this is our first official sponsorship uh, of, of our, our Rev Dive podcast. So I want to uh, thank Ability so much for sponsoring today's program. Um, a lot goes into, you know, the development and output of information, you know, regardless of the format, this is a podcast format. Um, but I'd, I'd love to just take, you know, a couple of seconds to thank you guys for, for sponsoring us. We know that there's, you know, so much that ability offers to the industry. Now, if you could um, encapsulate, you know, what ability kind of supports organizations in, I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so Ability Network, um, interestingly, is uh, a company that handles about 96% of all Medicare claims in the United States. Uh, we were the first organization to help providers connect directly to Medicare, and that's our roots. Uh, but what a lot of people don't necessarily realize in the industry is how much we've grown in the last 20 years to include uh, really full capability for revenue cycle, um, clinical quality uh, applications, as well as workforce optimization. So we have everything from how you'd manage your claims and eligibility and patient pay, telehealth, um, you know, capabilities for skilled nursing facilities to be tracking more efficiently their MDSs and uh, for all healthcare uh, to more optimize their scheduling and have insights, um, which has been a bigger deal lately with a lot of staff burnout um, brought about by the pandemic. So it's been a pleasure to be with you today and, and we uh, really appreciate the opportunity to sponsor what you're doing. We think it's great and very needed in our industry. Um, a great way to reach so many, so many people. Yes, awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for being with us today. Rev Divers, I hope that you've enjoyed today's podcast. We have so many more great episodes coming your way. Uh, we try to continue to get great content out to you. Fantastic speakers like Don Lundy. Um, until next time, take care um, and, and stay safe, Rev Divers.